Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am on the line with Naveed Ahmad. Naveed is Senior Director of Data Engineering and Machine Learning at Hearst. Naveed, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. So you've been in the publishing industry for about 10 years now. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, both your current role and some of the past things you've done in publishing? Sure. So I'm currently a senior director for data engineering and machine learning at Hearst. I've uh, been here for about two years. My role has been building the data warehouse, um, building personalization, uh, and also doing predictive uh, analysis using that data. And before Hearst, I was uh, at, at New York Times. I worked in the subscription um, space where uh, built, uh, working on their CRM system and also some of the aspects of machine learning like churn modeling and um, doing, uh, email content detection. And before that, I was in Thomson Reuters where I also built their data news distribution platform as well was part of their CMS team and contributed to recommendation systems. And before that, I was uh, mostly in telecommunication. And so you recently presented at the Google Cloud Next conference on uh, applied machine learning for publishers. Um, Before we jump into that topic, maybe you should take a, a second to provide an overview of Hearst for those who aren't uh, familiar with the company. Sure. So Hearst, I especially work in Hearst uh, newspaper department. Uh, Hearst is a very large, large organization with more than 300 businesses, uh, which includes uh, magazines, investment, and television channel um, and we, within even newspapers, there's about 40-plus websites, which includes names like San Francisco Chronicle and Houston Chronicle and Times Union. It is in Hearst uh, headquarters located here at 57th Street uh, in New York. Um, and that's some background about Hearst. So one of the things that you mentioned in uh describing your background and in our conversation before the interview started was the role of the data warehouse in enabling you to perform the types of machine learning that you want to be able to perform uh, at Hearst. Can you talk a little bit about the data warehouse and uh, the the process for establishing it? Yeah, so one of the first tasks uh, for me when I joined Hearst was to build a, 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 a data warehouse. Uh, especially, I used uh, a Google BigQuery as a, a choice data warehouse. And the idea was that we need all the data sets in one place uh, to be able to the dots, um, like to be able to look at what is the relationship between newsletter and uh, the web and subscriptions. And the f- first use case was to build business intelligence on like re- regular reporting on top of this data. And the same data can be used to 
that's used to uh, give data reports about current status can be used to do predictive modeling. So using query and uh, basically we build data, our data sets include Google Analytics, our content, our newsletters, so all sorts of data related to our business and is in BigQuery. And this forms as a foundation for machine learning. So the data warehouse is kind of central to your ability to perform machine learning and, and analytics. And, and it was one of the first things that you uh, established at Hearst. Can you talk a little bit about any challenges that you experienced trying to centralize all of the data from these various sources? Uh, the challenges were uh, that our data was sitting in different formats, like before data warehouse, people would get either uh, data from individual systems or with those Excel worksheets going around. So really get, uh, figuring out the data sources um, and then building a platform for ETL that was some of the bigger data sources like uh, Google Analytics and DFP, they were easier to get um, uh, into BigQuery, but some some of the ones we had to build specific code to ETL that into BigQuery. And what is DFP? Uh, double click for publishers. Okay. So that's an advertising, your advertising system? Yeah, this is all the log data for each uh, advertisement that impressions. And so the the data warehouse has your your analytics, so the clickstream data for people that are visiting the site. It's got information about the advertising interactions and maybe those clickstreams. Does mm-hmm. it also contain content information? Yeah, so all our CMS content is in BigQuery. All our newsletter, library data, that's in BigQuery. And is that data replicated to BigQuery for analytics, or is is that its native place and you're publishing directly to and from BigQuery? Yeah, it is replicated. Uh, like the other, our, we have a separate CMS system. It has our own, our own database, so we're replicating that BigQuery. Yeah, uh, and these are these are very different types of data what's the the goal for pulling this all into a single place yeah so each of these data they have identifiers that link them up with other data sets uh, for example a newsletter of uh, their um, hashed email address you can link it up with uh, subscription data and from subscription data we can link, uh, link it up uh, to google analytics data so the idea is to be able to connect all the aspects of a user um, uh, using these uh, identifiers. It sounds like the primary focus from a, an analytics, a predictive analytics and a machine learning perspective is based on this this link data, this user-centric link data? Yes, absolutely. And so maybe let's talk through some of the different things that you've done with the the data from a machine learning perspective what what are the different challenges that you're trying to address so we built a few different machine learning based um, products and predictive models using this data we have in bigquery so a n- a number one the one we're on uh, currently is a churn model uh, churn prediction 
the churn prediction is that uh, be able to predict how likely a subscriber is to cancel their subscription. And it's very relevant in the media space uh, because it's a bit a challenging environment to keep subscribers. Since we have subscription data, how people, the different attributes of their usage behavior, um, how they, how many subs, uh, newsletter they subs, uh, signed up to, um, also customer service data associated with each subscriber. Um, and the way it works is we take uh, like a year old worth of data and take their attributes for the month and feed it into a machine learning model, uh, which can, and we know that in the next month, how many of those subscribers were canceled and versus who didn't cancel. So this is a binary classification problem. So, and using six months of data, we can, we have training data of people, subscribers who didn't cancel versus cancel, and we can build a predictive model on it. So one of the things that we've uh, done is, since we're on BigQuery, we've used this uh, newly launched feature uh, called BigQuery ML, uh, which was uh, released in Google Next uh, back in August. And what the, the great thing about BigQuery ML is that I can do a training and prediction model right using SQL syntax, i.e. you don't have to write code or Python code um, and it does uh, some of the uh, like machine learning goodies, like uh, normalization of um, features and also fine tuning um, the the model. And and one of the things that I emphasize that this enables people who don't even have machine learning background, uh, like people in business intelligence or who have background in SQL, can easily. Um, write machine learning code uh, just by using SQL syntax. So we built out our first model on San Francisco um, and we're just working on integrating with our marketing and uh, CRM systems. Um, so And so this was one of the use cases um, for machine learning. Then we've also built, uh, one of the things that I've done over here is use if I could jump in before you go to the next one, one of the things that really struck me at the the Google Next conference, um, and you know, not to turn this into a, a BigQuery commercial, but I was really surprised by the enthusiasm for BigQuery. Like people seem to really love that database. Can you like maybe net out for me why folks are excited about it and the BigQuery ML uh, piece that they just announced? Yeah, so in general, BigQuery is a, a fully managed data warehouse. So you don't have to have a DBA to fine tune or optimize uh, the database. And it's based on Google's own internal Dremel technology. What I've heard is heavily, Dremel technology is heavily used inside of Google. And so they've exposed that as BigQuery. Um, and their philosophy is it's full scan. Any data set um, basically spawns off machines or compute in the back end and is able to very quickly get your results, especially if, if you have large data sets in terabytes or petabyte scale. Uh, it ta only takes a few minutes to run SQL. So it's very easy in terms of maintenance. It's based on SQL syntax. 
Um, and it, that's why it's very um, an attractive option for uh, data mining. Um, and BigQuery ML, so they built out machine learning on top of BigQuery, which even further, uh, it's very fast because it's using the same compute infrastructure and and it abstracts out the machine learning as uh, an SQL SQL. So it becomes, uh, I foresee that it'll enable machine learning for a lot of people, uh, especially who are on BigQuery. And so is the idea then that you'll have like, uh, you know, where you might have aggregators in SQL, like, you know, average or max or something like that, you can apply uh, some kind of model to, or is it different? Yeah, it's absolutely. So just like these functions, uh, you mentioned they've uh, introduced a few different functions to be able to train and predict and even get machine learning metrics, um, like once the machine learning model is built uh, to get, like, for example, what's the AUC uh, of this machine learning or precision and recall. So you can do all of those things um, just by a function call with a SQL syntax. Yeah, as compared to using a tool like Scikit-Learn or TensorFlow, um, it will, the other advantage is you don't have to take the data outside of the system. Uh, you do everything in one place. Like if you were using Scikit-Learn or TensorFlow, there's this whole process of extracting the data, massaging into a format that that machine learning framework can understand, build a machine learning model, pull that data back into your data warehouse. So this whole cycle just gets reduced uh, because you're doing everything in line in BigQuery. You're about to go into uh, another use case beyond the well. Actually, back on the on the churn. Um, yeah, I'm curious. This isn't necessarily a machine learning question. You know, I've talked about uh, churn prediction in many cases across many different industries, and I understand broadly how. It's applicable, but I'm I'm curious in the case of a publisher, you know, what specifically is Hearst going to do on the business side once it's able to predict that a user has a high likelihood to churn? Yeah, that's a good question. And we're working with uh, marketing and people um, in the subscription uh, business. What are the different ways? So some of the ways is that we, in our marketing platform, we were able to give messaging and be able to send emails. Um, typically, a user who is not engaged a lot are some of the people. Those are some of the attributes that um, are indicative that a person is going to cancel their subscription. So an email to nudge somebody, hey, you know, this. did you know that there is a certain feature or um, educating our print subscribers that they have free digital be- benefits are some of the things that they can we can employ um, on uh, getting people to lesser cancel their subscription. You built this on BigQuery ML using this new SQL-like interface. Can you talk about how that experience of building these models using uh, a SQL type of uh, interface differed from traditional approaches. You mentioned scikit-learn. Like, how were they different? And I, I guess I'm particularly curious about 
the different skill level involved, but also any differences in the way you need to manage the models or the way you productize them, those kinds of things? Yeah, that's a good question. So so one thing is getting started with BQML is really fast. Um, I actually built the first prototype within a day. I got a very basic churn model up and running. <clears throat> I've done this before in my previous uh, job uh, using Scikit-learn, and, and the difficulty really was getting aggregating data from different sources. Um, like in my previous job, getting data from like an Oracle database and you know a, 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 a Hadoop database. So it seemed like that took most of the time getting data from different data sources. Typically, the machine learning technology piece is the easier part. Um, and the hard, more time is spent on getting the data and then w- figuring out the right features to use uh, in, your mach- in our machine learning model. Um, and so, so a, a, using BigQuery ML, uh, getting used to the SQL syntax is, like anybody who knew, knows SQL can be trained to do it within, I think, half a day. I think the tricky part is, um, like for someone new is to learn some of the machine learning concepts. For example, if you train a machine learning model, what, how do you measure that it's, uh, y- you've succeeded? Uh, like basic concepts like precision recall and accuracy and, um, and AUC, area under curve. So those, those are more um, where more time is spent, like figuring out the features and then doing measurement uh, of, the, uh, of, of the result. And I feel like that doesn't differ from versus using scikit-learn or BigQuery ML, the, the feature engineering and, um, and the measurement. Uh, but A, the, the getting used to BigQuery ML is very quick. You don't have to use any language. And then the cycle I was talking about, that uh, data export, train model, data import, that cycle gets very redu- uh, really reduced. So the number of experiments you can do using BigQuery ML, you can do a lot more experiments uh, with this technology. And is part of that because you know, presumably they're scaling out the training behind the scenes and it's just uh, a lot faster? Or um, are there other aspects to reducing that cycle time? Yeah, A is that it's lot faster because of the BigQuery technology. And second is the what I mentioned before, exporting data for a machine learning model uh, outside of the system, training it, and fetching that data back in. Right, right. So that gets significantly reduced. And the third one is in our case, since our, our data was all sitting in one place, um, we didn't have to incur this ETL cost of getting data from different sources. Everything was sitting in BigQuery. What are some of the, some of the other types of uh, machine learning projects that you've done at Hearst? Yeah. So another one was application of uh, na- uh, natural language processing. Uh, there's a case study published back in November. Uh, I think if you just Google Hearst and Google, that that probably be the first link. So we've... Uh, applied Google's natural language processing to all all our content. Um, So each of our tag, basically we're using two features, 
of natural language. One is classification of content, um, putting this into broad categories, like if content is about food or wine, or is it about real estate? Um, and then also a more detailed version of it that it tags entities in the content. Um, and the entities could be uh, proper nouns or common nouns with their metadata, with the, uh, like their how much salient they are to that article and also their Wikipedia link for their popular entities. So we did that for uh, all our uh, content from all our websites and that's stored in our CMS as well as also replicated into uh, BigQuery for further analysis. So some of the use cases um, on this NLP data is um, so we build out BI business intelligent reports. For example, if you want to see uh, how is, for example, a particular personality trending uh, over time. So using Google NLP data and Google Analytics data and our content data and BigQuery, we can build out reports. Um, and also if you want to um, see which content categories get more traffic, um, like versus the content that we publish, like which categories should we be focusing on um, for publishers? So we build all sorts of reports uh, using these three data sets. So this is one of the use cases um, for Google NLP. Um, the other one is, which is more interesting, is that we also pass, like when we render our ads on Thing. We've integrated that with uh, DoubleClick for publishers. So whenever an ad is uh, rendered, we also pass the key value pair um, of which category that ad belongs to, the category of the content that ad's being displayed. So we built, uh, um, so over a month, this builds uh, a database where we can say, show me the, all the ads that were displayed on, uh, for example, Olympics content or ads on our food contents. So if there's a new advertiser that, that comes on board and he says that I want to run a campaign on, let's say, basketball or Olympics content, we build this capability using um, our uh, tag um, tagging technology. So they can just specify a criteria and double click for publish as said, specify for this campaign advertise this campaign on all the content which is related to, let's say, tennis or basketball. So that's um, another use case for natural language processing. I, I know you've done some work both with Google's AutoML NLP that allows you to kind of fine-tune uh, some of their models, uh, but the, the classification was their off-the-shelf NLP service that you, that one, if I'm not mistaken, you're not able to train that using your own uh, data. Is that right? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so the AutoML for NLP, which is another tool released uh, recently, it works on top of um, the classification. So they give a, cat, um, a taxonomy of about 700 categories by default. But let's say if somebody wants to train their own category, like for some unique or novel content, uh, they can use AutoML for uh, uh, natural language to train um, their own custom categories. 
So, and that works on top of their uh, the existing category. So, if you make a web service called with this AutoML, um, it not only returns their default categories, but also the trained version as well. Uh, and so, you found that for the types of articles that you were initially trying to categorize, the, the were these seven hundred built-in categories? Were they? Uh, sufficient? Were they, was it, you know, what was the experience of trying to map your business to this pre-canned uh, AI service? So most of most of the time it works very well. Um, so some of the categories, like the, like for most of our use cases, those categories work fine. Uh, there's a few categories which don't work well, especially their sensitive content. So they don't really split out. Um, so any article about crime or you know some violence, everything gets categorized into sensitive content. Uh, we would have ideally liked that to be split down into more granular, but Google thinks that there are um, like some restrictions. They just don't want to split that out. But one of the categories that we wanted uh, that I did a POC was to detect evergreen content because we had labeled about several thousand articles with uh, evergreen label. So what evergreen means is content that has a life shelf of more than a few days or a few weeks. For example, an article which is um, a review of a museum or an article about some real estate. Um, so those articles have a longer shelf life. And it's very important in the newspaper if you can detect that of that type of content because that kind of content can be uh, used in recommendations. Even an article written two years ago can be reused, um, which otherwise would just be sitting there and nobody reads uh, that content. So I built, um, using AutoML for text, uh, I built um, a, a classifier which basically detects evergreen versus non-evergreen content. And uh, so, uh, our editorial, they helped us label this content. We asked all the different markets uh, to take their content and label them with evergreen content. Initially, I did a very quick prototype using TensorFlow. Um, and then I had a hunch that this, their Google is working on this auto ML feature for NLP. And then once this feature came out, doing an, a POC was really quick. Like within a day, I was able to train um, an auto ML model that can differentiate evergreen contents. So really, the hard part in this is to get the label data. Um, and I, the interesting thing is once this model is trained, I even tried it on CNN and New York Times content. It was able to differentiate uh, evergreen and non-evergreen content. Um, and right now we're incorporating that into one of our recommendation systems. You know, one of the things that, that I noticed a couple of times in our conversation, you're the senior director of data engineering and ML, but it sounds like a on a couple for a couple of these POCs, it's you just kind of played around and put some stuff together. You make it sound really easy. It can be easy to experiment, but then if you actually want to use this in a way that the business is going to depend on it, there's uh, 
at least traditional, a lot more that needs to go into it in terms of engineering. I guess there's maybe several questions in here, but you know, part of it is like, does the does the cloud change that dynamic in in your perspective, or you know, are these projects that you built and then kind of threw them over the wall to you know some team that then had to maintain these projects? Uh, your, are your questions basically about AutoML or just about recommendations and uh, the other stuff I've been talking about? Well, specifically, the I think with churn prediction and the AutoML, the impression I got was that it almost sounded like you got bored one weekend and kind of worked on these <laughs> and kind of, you know, you came up with these models in a, you know, a day or so. Yeah, so the... the they weren't done in a day. They were sort of um, like the churn model we started uh, when BQML was an alpha state only available for certain customers. I think it was about May we started building it. <clears throat> so, and it took a couple of months like refining and fine tuning it until, um, and we're now we're working on another market, uh, building out, uh, doing this prediction for Houston. Um, AutoML, we uh, it was in phases. We started off like last year. We said we need to collect the data since we want to be able to do things. So one mini project was to figure out how to get this data and get it labeled. And and then once we had a label, it was just sitting there uh, for a while till um, I did some prototyping work for we using TensorFlow. And then when AutoML came out, um, it, it was since we had did already had done the hard work on labeling the data, it was very something very quick to do. So I guess w- one piece of that the project wasn't done like in, in, in a week and there were different phases and happened in different times. And the other thing is, in general, the the newer features in cloud, um, especially the the higher level APIs, it's much more quicker to do prototyping and getting things out quicker. And AutoML is a feature that's meant for people to do things much quicker. Like you don't have to uh, learn TensorFlow to be able to do it. It's just upload the data, give it label data set, and then it takes a few hours to train a model and start using it. You've done some work on recommendation systems as well? Yeah, so as I was talking, so one of the use cases uh, with the NLP data that's sitting in our BigQuery data warehouse is to build a recommendation system. So the, the, the idea is that if two pieces of content, if they have overlapping NLP entities, they're highly likely to be related to each other. So this is a content-to-content recommendation. And since we had this, again, since we had this in our BigQuery database, um, we built out a recommendation system, which actually works uh, using a big uh, SQL, which takes entities from one set of articles and matches up with another one, um, incorporates saliency score and... So there's there's a whole bunch of rules that we built out in our SQL and produces a, a table of recommendations. And that's fronted by a web service layer that our website, um, uh, San Francisco Chronicle, there's, I think, three websites that are using that content-to-content recommendation. 
And this was a release as part of um, San Francisco's um, uh, um, user interface uh, rewrite. So a few months ago, we released a, a revamp of SF Chronicle. So this was project, this content to content recommendation was part of um, the deployment. And so you've got this content in the in BigQuery, and then you're using uh, Google NLP to uh, essentially you're adding fields for each of the entities that are recognized, and then you're using BigQuery ML to generate a recommendation uh, for um, from a given piece of content to other recommended pieces of content based on these shared entities that have been recognized by the NLP service? Yeah. So, and th- just a minor correction that this one doesn't use BQML. This is a plain SQL uh, running, which basically is looking at the number of overlaps of entities between two contents. Got it. Got it. So it's basically scoring of how, like based on the overlap, how relevant one content is to another one. Okay. And then you said you're front-ending that with a, a website. Are you serving the data directly up from BigQuery, or do you uh, push it out to some uh, cache or database? Yeah, so, yeah, so we uh, push it out. This computation is done on a periodic basis about every 15 minutes, um, and that's about the frequency that we're getting newer content. So we so build out a table in a Postgres database, and then that web service layer is using uh, Memcache as well as this Postgres database to serve these out. And you've also done some video uh, content recommendations. Yeah, so it's uh, so the, another project uh, we've done is we've uh, taken our video, converted that to sound, and then extracted text uh, from that sound, and then applied Google's NLP to extract entities from uh, the sound. So. Um, so our content has the NLP tags and our video using voice transcription um, and using that text to also extract entities. Uh, we can recommend video to content based on this technology. Uh, and so to transcribe the audio, did you use the, the Google Speech-to-Text API? For that? Yeah, yeah. So Google has a Google Sound API, which uh, given any sound, it can convert that to text. And what was your experience getting uh, reliable results from that? Yeah, so our like full objective was to also have captioning on the videos. Um, so we did, most of the time it works very well, uh, the Google uh, Sound transcription. But in certain cases, um, it doesn't like it, it, if like it. There was some few um, cases when it didn't work very well. So we haven't used this for captioning, but we took this text and it seems to work well if we apply NLP on it. If we just want to extract um, categories and um, tags from it, for that purpose, it works well. And those tags are used for. It eventually being able to recommend uh, con- textual content along with the videos. Any final thoughts or words of wisdom that you shared as you were wrapping up your presentation on these use cases? Yeah, so 
some of the advice I gave was that um, like some of the things that we want to do in the future um, is to use applied deep learning for recommendations. There's a, a lot of research done uh, in the past couple of years um, for uh, application of deep learning in recommendation. We're actually doing some research um, and um, we want to launch very soon with a recommendation system that applies uses deep learning. So I had recommended that uh, we should use, like everybody should look into deep learning and TensorFlow. Um, so it's really uh, all, everything you don't have to build from scratch if a problem is already, already solved by higher level APIs such as the um, NLP image video APIs or BQML and AutoML, um, we should be using that. It's really a trade-off. Do you want to hire a data scientist to rebuild this thing, or do you want to just pay that for that service and apply it? And only in cases where the problem is novel or the data set is novel is when you want to build your in-house um, uh, machine learning model. Uh, for example, we want to be able to do uh, recommendations using deep learning. So this is something that we're uh, building in-house. And other things that we're exploring as more use cases for NLP, um, uh, we identify that we can use this uh, with our newsletters to be able to generate um, newsletters automatically. That's something that we're looking into. And also more uses for BigQuery ML. Uh, just like churn, uh, we can do the converses, do propensity modeling, like how likelihood, what's the likelihood of a user to subscribe uh, to our, one of our websites. So this is overall our, our future plans. Awesome. Well, Naveed, thanks so much for taking the time to share what you've been up to with us. It's been really interesting, uh, and I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you very much. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. For more information on Naveed or any of the topics covered in this episode, visit twimmelaicom slash talk slash 182. If you're a fan of the podcast, we'd like to encourage you to visit your Apple or Google podcast app and leave us a five-star rating and review. Your reviews help inspire us to create more and better content, and they help new listeners find the show. As always, thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.